You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Any credit card can offer cash back, but only Discover matches all the cash back that you earned at the end of your first year. It's like getting one of those birthday cards that's shaped like cash, so you already know there's cash inside before you open it up. But in this case, it's stuffed with your first year cash back match, and you don't even have to send a thank you note. How awesome is that? And as long as the defense held up against the run, they was able to play cover two. Sometimes they disguised it uh, with their man coverages, and they did a good job of mixing it up and Patrick holding the football. And again, the four-man pressure and the four-man rush got home. Hey, hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode 162 of the Jim Rohn Podcast, the post-Super Bowl edition. This week, I have an extremely timely guest. He is a Bucks Ring of Honor member. He won a championship in Tampa Bay 18 years ago. He just served as the co-chair of the Super Bowl 55 host committee. And when I say this guy knows what happened on Sunday, inside and out, he literally knows what happened inside and out. From the team to the game to the city, what it's like to win a ring, how everything went down from a logistical standpoint during a pandemic. He knows all of that and more. He is Derek Brooks. And DB is here to share all that insight Drop all that knowledge with me, and I'm here to share it with you. So let's get this thing. Episode 162 with Derek Brooks starts right now. So, Derek, it's been a moment or two since you and I had a chance to catch up, so it's great to have you here. Listen, first things first, how are you and yours doing during this most unusual and challenging time, Derek? Uh, Thank you, Jim. We are doing fine. Uh, like I said, just grinding through uh, every single day <laughs> that we possibly can to uh, stay safe and stay healthy. And uh, I have no complaints, man. Just keep my head down and keep it moving forward. That's the best way to do it, and it's good to hear. So I was in Tampa for a few days leading up to the Super Bowl, and I really want to get your thoughts on what it was like to plan the Super Bowl. But what about your Bucks? I know you were confident that they would get it done, but coming into that game, Derek, did you see them laying the kind of beat down on the Chiefs that they did Sunday night? Uh, I really did see them uh, playing well, to be honest with you, Jim. They just got on a roll there and played well as a team uh, defensively. Uh, just looking at the run they made uh, at the end of the season and then playing, you know, two of the top uh, three teams uh, leading into the Super Bowl, uh, I was I, knew, I was confident and I knew that they were confident. Uh, did I expect it to, you know, Kansas City to be held to three field goals? No, but I did expect our defense uh, to play a lot better uh, than they did the previous time they played Kansas City. And uh, I know people, you know, one could say this because the game is over. But even the first time that they played Kansas City, I honestly felt the clock ran out. I did. I know Kansas City got off, had the big second quarter. Tyreek Hill made all the fantasy football people happy who picked him. But when you look over the course of that game, when the Bucks settled down after that second quarter, they outplayed the Chiefs. But the Chiefs left here with a win. And they and they knew that going into the game, that, you know, they'd matched up well with them in the third and fourth quarter. 
But uh, to say that I think it was going to be held to the offense of KC being held to nine points, no, I did not see that coming. But I did uh, have confidence the Bucs could win. You know, Derek, that point you just made about they ran out of time. Normally when a guy or a team says, we didn't lose, we just ran out of time, I kind of shake my head and laugh about that. But in this case, I think you're right. And I did tend to overlook that because in that Week 12 game, you're right, in that second half, the defense made such great adjustments and they changed up. And that really was the case of the Bucks running out of time because they were playing so well at the end of that game or in the second half. So what do you make of the defensive game plan that Todd Bowles came up with for Sunday, especially given what happened in that first half? half in that week 12 game yeah they made a great adjustment so you know playing the two shell uh they played cover two and and really uh it held up against the run uh that's what's shocking to me i'll be honest with you is you can't throw anyone out of cover two probably nine out of ten times you can't right you got to run against that and make a safety or commit to the box or make someone play two gaps Kansas City didn't do that. But last year, against the 49ers, when they got down, they got back into the game by running the football. And that allowed them to set up the play-action passes and make the big plays that they did in Super Bowl 54. But this time around, they did not. And as long as the defense held up against the run, they was able to play cover two. Sometimes they disguised it. Uh, with their man coverages, and they did a good job of mixing it up and Patrick holding the football, and again, the four-man pressure and the four-man rush got home. Right, Derek. I don't get that at all. That point you just made, I, I, I get your point, but I don't know why they didn't change up. Like, I, I love Andy Reid. I love Eric Bieniemy. Why in the world did they not try to run the football? Were they just stubborn? What, were you, what do you think they were thinking? <laughs> that, you know, that that's going to be a question. Uh, you know, Last year when they did it, uh, me personally, I said, man, that's the Eric Bannemi influence of this offense, them committing to the run the way they did. This time around, they didn't. And I, I don't know if the evolution of that offense got so dependent on Patrick making and creating plays and them looking for home runs versus taking singles. <laughs> I don't know. I just know the Bucks, uh game plan, they stay committed to it. And, yeah, they did, uh, you know, make some adjustments from the the first time that they played them just in terms of some of the matchups and making it more physical at the line of scrimmage with the corners jamming and the zone spacing underneath. Give a lot of credit, you know, to the linebackers. They played well with their zone spacing underneath. And, yes, you know, Travis Kelsey, that is, he's going to get a lot of catches, going to get a lot of yards. But they didn't allow him to make the big play. Tyreek, they didn't allow him to make the big play. And, again, that just bold confidence. Now you look at the other side of the football, Tom Brady did not turn the football over. That's a very big difference than what happened against Green Bay. He knew he couldn't throw three interceptions against Kansas City, and they win the Super Bowl. So Tom didn't take a lot of chances. They protected the football and didn't turn it over, and they're the champs. That's it. And he was so efficient. In fact, forget for a moment, Derek, and I want to get to this because you have a ring. I mean, how how absurd it is that he has seven and what he meant to the organization overall. But if you were to go back, Derek, to the deal when it went down in the first place, how shocked were you that Tom Brady even came to the Bucks in the first place? Like, I know it all makes sense now, but in that moment when you first heard that, was that shocking to you? Uh, scale of one to ten, I was, 
you know, eight and a half, yeah. closer to nine. Because uh, nothing surprised me in, in this league. But, you know, I knew really uh, that Tom had, you know, got my friends that keep their ears to the ground. I knew Tom was leaving the wing. Uh, that I knew. And I just felt that maybe the lure of bigger cities, bigger markets, looking at what, you know, to maybe Tampa, you know, long shot. But as conversations started to happen around here, and when Bruce Arians, you know, came out public and said, hey, man, he's, you know, he's going out there. I knew, man, if Coach Arians is putting a lot of energy into this, this thing can happen. And I already knew Gronkowski, you know, loved Tampa because he spent a lot of time down here. <laughs> so, uh, again, I was shocked, eight and a half on a scale of 10. But, again, once it happened, then it just started to make sense of, you know, I started to pay attention to some of the things that Coach Jarians was saying. Uh, they were able to put it off. You give them a lot of credit. A lot of credit. A lot of credit for doing what they had to take to get him and a lot of credit for Tom Brady recognizing the opportunity and putting it all together. Like, Derek, you you know how hard you had to grind. You know the sacrifices you had to make and that everything had to break right for you to win your ring. This man has seven Seven. I mean, can you even get your head around that number? <laughs> no, I, I was going to get to that. And yes, it's, you know, people look at him and rightfully so, Tom, you know, throws the credit, you know, back where it needs to be. You know, you position this team to win and, you know, have three of those Super Bowls that, you know, the best kicker in football and <laughs> been a Terry uh, for, for many years. And I know what it's like. To have a good kicker and get some wins, but they just went on, a, you know, a run there and as close to or even a dynasty that the Patriots had. So, you know, it just feel he had to learn how to win, and they had a winning environment, and you know, for all those things, uh, Tom brought here to Tampa. Derek, one thing about Tom, and then I want to move on and talk about your time with the Bucks when you played. But have you ever seen a single guy? who had the kind of impact on an entire organization, like not even the offense or both sides of the ball, but the whole organization and the culture, the way Brady did this year with the Bucks. And if so, what's his secret? Like how does one guy get everybody, players, coaches, staffers, administrators to buy in and follow him? I would just only speak to, you know, the things that I noticed since his time here and, you know, the, conversations we've had in you know via text and in person i've been impressed with his ability to stay focused in the moment i mean it, it's second to none you know i thought i was a pretty focused guy dialed in and you know looking to make my teammates better by you know my actions my you know whatever commitments to the game but he man another level <laughs> within a whole nother level and I think that rubbed off where the team needed to be when they had their struggles this year. That's why I think the influence of Tom really kicked in. Uh, because the Bucks had positioned themselves to be in this position to make a playoff run or even make the playoffs in years past, and they couldn't finish down the stretch in the fourth quarter. You know, they basically, you know, tripped over their own feet. But Tom, when they went 7-5, and five, I like to think his – influence did not allow them to panic and from the second half of that week tw that week uh, i think 13 game against the falcons uh 
they haven't looked back since. And I, I really think, again, to your point, Tom had a lot of influence on that, I know, particularly in that locker room. Yeah, Derek, to your point, I mean, that was your game. You you were so calm and so poised, and the bigger the stage, the bigger the stakes, the more calm and the more poised you were. Is that something you learned, or were you always like that? Because that was such a strong part of your game, right? Uh, yes, yeah, it, it was. And like I say, man, just the preparation uh, that you, you go into this uh, every single day, uh, it is. It takes a lot, man, to win a football game, and people, <laughs> people outside, you, you know, it it takes a lot, and it, you just don't wake up and say, "Hey, we're going to win." You got to go out there and grind it and get it done. And for me, I think that was probably one of my winning edges is my preparation when I played uh, because I was responsible for a lot of the adjustments that we had to do on defense. So, uh, yes, that attention to detail, uh, I tried to use that as my winning edge uh, when I played, and I like to think for, for a few times it was. Yeah, absolutely. Derek, when you talk about an edge, I'm curious. Like You were a back-to-back All-American at Florida State. You won a national championship there, yet 27 teams passed on you in the draft. So I'm curious, when you got to the NFL, what was your mindset? Were you, were you looking to prove all those teams wrong, or were you looking to prove the Bucks right? Yeah, Jim, with me, I definitely did not come in, you know, with that chip on my shoulder, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I managed my expectations going into the draft. Uh, My agent did a good job of just preparing me for that, was saying, hey, you, you are Mark Fields, top two outside linebackers, and, you know, four or three teams, going to look at it. He said, now, if a team drafts you as a safety, you know, you told teams you don't want to play safety. and It may have cost you, you know, going early in the draft. And I was fine with that. And I told them that. It's like, hey, I want to play the positional linebacker. I'm not here to play safety. And, you, you know, that, that was that. So I was willing to live with the results if that was the case. And that's why I say I managed my expectations. Now, I honestly had no idea that the Bucks would draft me because I never – I never met with him. Wow. <laughs> wow. But one one time uh, at the Senior Bowl, and it was only for a few minutes. It wasn't, you know, the, the sit-down interview, the, you know, visit before the draft. I literally had probably the least communication uh, from the Bucks. So I was, uh, you know, obviously astounded when they drafted me because I had a chance to see Warren Sapp drafted here at number 12. So I knew me coming here with the combination of playing with him, I was like, man, this is going to be uh, something special. We're going to get this franchise turned around. Now, it's hard for me to imagine, Derek, and I understand that it's an inexact science and teams and scouts and people miss on players, but to think that they were going to take a future Hall of Fame linebacker and try and make him a safety is just mind-blowing to me. You mentioned Warren Sapp. Now, today, Derek, in fact, this morning, I had a conversation with Alan Fanica, who, like you, is going to be in the Hall of Fame. You're there. He just is now mm-hmm. a member of the 2021 class. When I said to him, Derek... You know, I love talking to linemen and getting their thoughts about the great matchups they had and who pushed them the hardest. I said, who, Alan, were one or two of those guys? I mean, he didn't even blink. He right away said, Warren Sapp, Warren Sapp. Nobody likes Sapp. I mean, let me ask you, have you have you ever played with a talent and a character like Warren Sapp, or was he one of one? 
Uh, I think he, he's one of one. And you add to that, people don't realize his football intelligence is, you know, it's up there, man. And uh, from I always like to say, man, from four feet down, there's nobody I trust eyes and instincts more than him from four feet down. And that's what it was to be in a position to play behind him uh, for eight years and see the things that he did to dominate a game, take over a series, in-game communication uh, was special. And he definitely was an issue for a lot, a lot of offenses that we played. And it was just an extreme joy uh, to play with. I got such a kick out of him, man. I think he, I don't want to say one sap was misunderstood because, you know, like a lot of us, like all of us, there are probably some things that he would like to take back or what he would do. But man, what a personality. Like, Dude, he was wild, right? I mean, what an unbelievable presence and personality. What was it like when that guy walked in the locker room? Well, you know, our, our team and the way, you know, Coach Dungey built us and even when John came, the culture that we had, we created a lot of space for everybody's personality to be a part of this team because we needed every one of them. Whether it was Warren, whether it was Simeon Rice, you know, Rondé, John. I mean, we all jailed together and no one, Keyshawn, even for example, Keenan McCardle. So no one had to, you know, feel like they were, they couldn't be themselves. Uh, the stage was big enough for all of us to stand on and, and mix together uh, as a team. And we did it for a lot of years together. That's where I guess people don't realize, you know, the nucleus of our team we played together for at least five, six years, and that is unheard of. When you can keep, you know, probably 17, 18 guys on a team uh, during that time together, you know, we, we were, grew up together in this league, and all of, and like I say, all those personalities were just a good part of our success. Derek, these are enormous personalities. Like, you're right, when you lay it out like that, you've got Sap, you had Simi Rice, Keyshawn, Rondé's great. What about John Lynch? How happy were you to see John Lynch get the call to join you in the Hall of Fame? And then how did he fit into that whole locker room? Well, I'll start off by saying uh, words can't describe the, the joy I felt for John. Uh, he'd been, you know, one of the first to be a finalist uh, of our defense. And, you know, he's waited the longest to go in. And I think he just kind of built up a, a interior you know, defense model to deal with the disappointment over over the years. But to see all that go away when he got that call and be a part of that emotion uh, to see him in, it, it just reminded me of the small things of why we play this game. So words really can't describe the joy uh, that I have and felt uh, when I was uh, told he was going in. And, and obviously our Buccaneers winning uh, this game. You know, it, it was, you know, aligned. The stars aligned for this moment. And how John fitted in, uh, covering the back end of our defense, you know, start up front and in the middle, him in the back. And when you guess over here played us, all of us had to be accounted for in your game plan, period. And that, to me, uh, signifies a Hall of Fame uh, career, and, and I'm glad that this crowning achievement uh, has come to John. John, despite the weight, as he said at this point, it doesn't even matter. He's in, and we're going to be, you know, enshrined in Canton forever together. 
Derek, I can tell by the way you talk about that and how happy you are for him, what it means to be a member of that really exclusive fraternity to get to the Hall of Fame. And then you're a world champion as well. These are two totally different things. But you had that huge game, and you were part of that group that won Super Bowl 37 in San Diego. So what does that mean to you? Like, they can't take that honor from you that you're enshrined in the Hall of Fame, nor can they ever take from you that you're a world champion. What's it mean to you to be called a world champ? Well, I don't, you know, Jim, I really try to find a connection between the two instead of a comparison. And the Bay Area won when Super Bowl 37. That's you know, the defining memories that I have, yes, I have memories of the journey uh, in the game, but the more appreciative mem- memories of doing that time for me is, you know, the parade celebration, you know, the people crying, you know, coming, you know, you're seeing obviously people that are elderly saying they're 76 when they first bought tickets and dealing with the 0-26, you know, you know, us hoisting a trophy and just seeing that outpouring of emotion, it, I, I felt like our fans, they, they did more emotional, you know, whether it was crying or celebration than us players. And to me, that signified the championship moment uh, for Super Bowl 37 for us. It was truly a Bay Area championship. And the first one in this area, uh, in like I say, in the major sports, it was, you know, crowning achievement. Uh, I'll just say that for our uh Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business which takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried Rough beef in a bag. Nobody. It's like eating an old shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Yeah, Derek, I'm not, I would never try to get you to compare things because they're all different, but you have your Hall of Fame, you have your Super Bowl championship, mm-hmm. and you won a national championship too at Florida State. And I want to ask you about this because when I got started, Derek, in the business, I can remember early on when I started in TV, Bobby Bowden, and understand, you know, you know this, that life was very different then. There was not social media. There was not the internet. Bobby Bowden was larger than life. And I can remember as a young guy coming up, Bobby Bowden would come on my TV show, and I was always astonished that he would do it, that we had access to him. But man, he was such an amazing person to talk to, and he was always so gracious. I'm curious. He always got so close, but couldn't get over the hump. You won a national championship, and you were one of the guys to help him get over the hump. What did that mean to you personally, and what did that national championship represent to you? Well, that, that's what I'm saying when, you know, me, when when I was my feet was put on the fire to <laughs> say, you know, how important these things are me, uh, are to me. That's why I leaned into to say the national championship. And in my sporting achievements, you know, that one would probably be closest to me because of everything it meant. And a head coach that meant so much 
to college football and Florida State University, uh, I got to go with that one, man. Just the, again, seeing Coach Bowden, you know, in that Orange Bowl, we won a championship, you know, on a field that has cost us, you know, so much headache, so much pain <laughs> in the past, but to win it uh, against Nebraska and to see he, he and this man in that locker room and him just thanking us, like, thank you guys for, you know, getting this bear off my back and getting us over this hump. It, it's it's a moment that, you, you know, only us on his team deserve to be there uh, for that moment. And, again, the symbolism of that is, is why I hold that national championship probably closest uh, to me. Yeah, so Derek, you and I are talking about these like amazing, crowning athletic achievements that you've had in your life and how you're identified, but I don't think a lot of people know this, but if I were to ask you the question, when you were growing up, what was stressed more in your household, athletics or academics? Oh, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, academics was priority number one, two, three, four, and five. It wasn't no comparison between the two uh that's the way that my parents raised me and again i thank them for that because you know that you know i tell people uh all the time and ryan i'm i'm gifted when it comes to you know academics and my parents realized that and they were harder on me to make sure that i didn't waste that gift in anything i had to do with football i mean i was not a very good football player as a youth <laughs> anyone You'd have told anyone that I would be uh, in the NFL when I was eight years old, man. They'd have told you, you know, you're lying. Who are who are you? No way that this guy is going to be that. But uh, I was always a smart kid. But my parents wanted to make sure I fulfilled that potential. And again, it was always stressed that academics would would definitely uh, be in front of any other activity I was doing as a kid. And and that's the same way I raise my children now. Derek, you were a smart kid, and you're a smart adult, too, and you have the academic achievements to prove that. So it's, it's really interesting. Like, when you were a kid growing up, you probably weren't identifying with NFL players. Like, if you didn't look at an NFL player and say, I want to be that guy, who did you look at and who did you want to be? Like, what did you think you were going to end up as if not an NFL player? Yo, Jim, I, I grew up wanting to be an insurance man, to be honest with you, because of my neighborhood, you know, back then – <laughs> insurance man used to go door to door collecting money and premiums. So I always saw this man named Mr. Herbert. He wore a nice suit, he drove a BMW, and he collected money. And my parents never had a problem paying him. So I figured that was a, a hell of a job to have when you got older. So that's what I wanted to be. It wasn't until I got to high school, you know, and my high school coaches uh, informed me of a scholarship and that could, you know, He's turning to college. He's good in college. Maybe the NFL is, is in, you know, could happen. But for me, the NFL did not even become a reality prior my junior year in college when obviously I'm having success. Our team is winning national championship. And then I could look to say, okay, maybe, you know, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is it, you know, for me. So until then, I really didn't have a favorite team or player. Uh, again, just being transparent with you, it was it was about the the grind of me wanting to uh, get that degree in my master's, which I was able to do. But uh, once I got into the NFL, now I started to look at guys playing my position, whether the junior Seals, you know, of the world at the time, is one of the first linebackers that you know I had you know had film cut up to watch him, 
his every move on the field, his mannerism, et cetera. And then uh, I had a chance to meet, you know, meet him at the Pro Bowl and kind of find out he's studying me <laughs> to get his, his game better. So uh, that's what, you know, being in the NFL, you know, allows that type of, uh, I like to say, brotherhood and camaraderie to exist. But uh, again, that's you know that's the first player. What I would say in terms of sitting down and studying when I got in the NFL was Junior Seau. And there were some things about him, right? Like I remember Derek when I came up in San Diego and I worked for a radio station in San Diego. They'd carry the Chargers. He was larger than life. Like you could cut up his film and you could watch him. But there were just certain things that he was so athletic and so active. And there's certain things about him you just can't teach, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, you know. Obviously, naturally gifted in certain areas and you know, playmaking ability uh, in other areas. And you know, dynamic is the word I use when I talk about the late, great Julius Seau. Derek, before you go, you were co-chair of the host committee for Super Bowl 55 in Tampa. I would imagine of all the things you've done in your life, and you've done quite a bit, you had never really taken on something like that. What was the experience like planning for a Super Bowl and especially in the midst of a pandemic? Well, Jim, uh, uh, it was uh, life-changing, <laughs> changing for me, but I wouldn't trade anything. It was definitely a lot of hard work, uh, especially, as you said, during the pandemic where, you know, we draw up a blueprint. Uh, you, you think you have things, you know, figured out, and, but you got to be nimble and light on your feet to pivot uh, when things don't. And uh, sometimes when we, you know, have decisions, have a plan, and, you know, one hour later, you got to throw it out, you know, recharge, restart. And I just thank the Tampa Bay uh, community and our business partners to help us put it on. They never deserted us uh, doing it. So, you know, we made sure healthy and safety, all the protocols that we could control were in place. And uh, I thank, you know, everybody on the committee. I thank them. And, again, hopefully, you know, we showed that, we uh, could get back in line and deserve another Super Bowl by the way we uh, came off and putting this Super Bowl on. So, Derek, really quickly as a follow, and then I'll let you go, because I was there for a few days, and I talked to Ronald Jones also this morning, and I made the point to him that I was there for a few days, and I've been in Southern California, and I've been doing my job, Derek, but I haven't really done anything other than the job. I've been staying home. So when I got to Tampa, you know, immediately I took a COVID test, and then I took another COVID test the next day. And then there was screening the third day. And I can only imagine what it was like to go through an NFL season where you were testing and going through protocols every single day, which I extended what you had to do to get ready for the Super Bowl. It's, it's mind-blowing to me. I'm curious, how did it feel to you? And I thought it was great. When I got to your town, when I got to Tampa, I thought it came, came off really well. How do you feel like the event came off from an organizational and logistical standpoint? How pleased were you with the way it played out? Uh, I could use the word very pleased. Uh, even, I could say, the challenges that, you know, we had to make adjustments with even during last week, you know, we were able to. And the flexibility of working with the NFL can't uh, be any more prouder uh, of that partnership that they maneuvered as we did. And, as I, you know, I can't understate it. It takes the whole community, not just Tampa, but the entire Bay Area, Clearwater, St. Pete, you know, the collaborative efforts of, of all three cities were on display. And, again, I think we did a good job. 
you did a really nice job. And then a final thought, like the pandemic is so big. I've got to ask you this. It's been an amazing year for Tampa sports. The Lightning win the Stanley Cup. The Rays go to the World Series. The Bucks win the Super Bowl at home. How hyped were you for your adopted hometown? But then how frustrating was it that the fans couldn't fully participate because of the pandemic? Uh, no, I'm not going to say I'm frustrated at all because, you know, we had millions watching. Uh, everybody understood, you know, what we were going through. And, and yes, we didn't. We were able to honor uh, some people in ways that they haven't been honored before in terms of our 7,500 healthcare workers. So we focused in on that. The fact that, you know, we were able to do some things virtually that has never been done before that may be a part of the Super Bowl here moving forward. You know, the glass was three-quarters full. That was our attitude, uh, Jim. And, you know, the Bucks did their part by completing history and, and winning. And, and trust me, uh, a lot of eyeballs were on us and, and what our team did. And we're just going to be satisfied with that. You know, when you answer the question like that, Derek, it makes me want to retract the question. You're right. That's exactly right. Derek, it is so good to get caught up with you. I want to, one, thank you very much for taking your time and spending that much time with me today because it was good that you and I got caught up. Congratulations on a Super Bowl win, the planning of the Super Bowl as the co-chair, and it's great to have you back, Derek. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Jim. Take care. Catch up with you anytime. Enormous thanks to my guy Derek Brooks for coming through and dropping that wisdom. That was fun. If you liked what you heard, I have got a ton of evergreen episodes that preceded this one. Make sure you check them all out. Get subscribed right now so you never miss another one in the future. We're back next week with Ep 163. But until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Yo, Jimmy, it's Lewis and Palmdale here with Jungle Clone Eric Gilson. What's up, Jimmy? Thanks to the jungle, we're together, we're hanging out and having a great time. Here's Eric. Power of the jungle, Jimmy. Couldn't do it without you. Thanks for the community that you built. Great to work out with Luis and keep it up yourself. Keep doing those bricks and jump in the pool. Cryotherapy is good for you. Clone to the bone. Clone to the bone, yeah. Luis from Palmdale, my savior. Talk to you soon. Good night now. Don't forget about Mark Waldo. Don't forget about Mark Waldo. 30 pieces of silver. We love you, Trapper. Message saved. Next message. Hi, Jim. This is Trava in Merritt Island, Florida. Um, oh God, I just am flaming out. Message deleted. Next message. Hi, Jim. This is Trava in Merritt Island, Florida. Listen to the Charles Woodson podcast. Gotta tell you, I'm an Ohio native, but I had to move to Canton, 10 miles east of Ann Arbor, a Buckeye, surrounded by Wolverines. Let me tell you, it was not easy living there. That is the year Michigan beat Ohio State. Woodson won the Heisman Trophy. They went to the Rose Bowl and won half of a national championship. He was a phenomenal player in the NFL, and God bless him. I hope he does well with his wine company, his bourbon company. As always, Jim, you're the best. Love you, my man. Message saved. Next message. Hi, Jim. Bella B in Calgary. I left you a voicemail a few days ago with my Super Bowl prediction. Go ahead and delete that. I don't know anything about football anyway. I just saw hockey. Message saved. Next message. Fan smack. Got a game night going on here at the house, and I need to know, 
Is Bohica legal in Scrabble? Thanks. Message deleted. Next message. Pimp in the box. Great interview with Steve Smith. What a tremendous player. What a tremendous person. What a tremendous overall light for the NFL. And as far as um, your other um, interviews go, um, I kind of um, um, find it hard to believe that um, someone can graduate um, college um, and never take a um, public speaking course um, to learn voice um, um, patterns or um, public speaking. Um, out. Message deleted. Next message. Bro, me, Chase in Buffalo, 2.30 a.m., Space Jam is Aaron. Cut me the royalty check, baby. Go Bills, baby. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Rome? It's Dr. Dave. You know, that Super Bowl was pretty lame. Best part was just watching the progression of Tom Brady losing his fat face over the years. Just a fun fact here, though. Did you know that in the 1950s, Fort Wayne, Indiana, had a mayor named Harry Balls? Later. Message deleted. You have no more messages.